Welcome to Salem Alliance Church. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at SalemAlliance.org. Today we're continuing our series called Choices, Decisions That Shape the Soul. This week's message is by Steve Fowler. Well, it is great to be back home with you. Uh, some of you know that uh, Trina and I have been traveling the last couple weeks. Um, we, uh, a couple weeks ago, after a weekend service, we got on a plane the next day and went to the Middle East to uh, work with our teams there. And if you've been watching the news, uh, you know that that's a, that's a, a pretty, it's a hot spot in our world this, these days. And, and I just want to say a big thank you to you, church, for allowing your staff to be, uh, uh, to, to be able to travel and to be able to minister to our teams around the world. Today, we've got a middle school team headed to San Francisco. Uh, this last week, our high school team, um, as I was in the Middle East, I would watch, look at Instagram pictures of this entire platform covered with middle schoolers and high schoolers who are headed to Mexico uh, to, to build houses for people who do not have shelter. There's going to be a climactic moment at the end of this week where a family is going to be surrounded by high school students and keys to a new home are going to be given to them. It's going to be an emotional event, not just for those, those families who are getting homes. This will be a moment in our students' lives that will impact them for years to come. Thank you for being a church that invests in our students, that prays for our students, uh, that supports our students because it makes a significant difference. Our Easter offering, you heard Laura talk about it. It's for the Alliance Academy of Jordan as well as our student ministries. Here's what we had to do. We had so many students that were going on these missions trips that we had to buy another bus. It wasn't, wasn't planned. So our Easter offering, we bought the bus. So Easter offering, we're gonna try and pay for it. Uh, and... Just, we just felt like we, we can't keep one student from experiencing this. Thank you for being a church that empowers staff to take students to places like Mexico and to places like San Francisco. And what a great team we have. Wow, did not Jennifer Roth bring God's word last week? She, uh, I just, I'm, I'm so blessed that we have people like Brian Candelo and Jennifer Roth and Susan Garlinger and you know, Rod Papp, others who are, who are opening God's word to us in such powerful ways. Um, thank you for being a church that allows women to use their gifts uh, in, 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 in our church. And we are receiving the blessing of that. And, and uh, so I just, it's good to be home. It's great to be home, and, um, and it's good to be with you, and I've got like 20 minutes, and so I'm going to try and get us back into our series here. I, I wanted to give you that update, because I, I know what, what, what happens around the world matters to you. We have a vision of a city at peace with God, and we want to be influencers around the world, globally. Church, thank you for embracing neighborhoods and nations. You're making a, dif- a difference. All right, 2 Samuel chapter 15. Uh, Get going there. We're gonna pick up this series uh, called Choices. We've been looking at the life of David. David has had some really significant high points. He's had some really significant low points. In the last couple weeks, you've heard about those low points. His sin with Bathsheba, and now the ramifications of that sin. And last week, Jennifer did a great job of just helping us understand the significance of, of using power for those who don't have power. And we saw how David abdicated his authority and how he, did, he wasn't there for his daughter. 
Um, and, and, and now in chapter 15, we've got more of the consequences uh, of, of David's sin. And, uh, and in this low point in his life, you're actually, what we're actually going to see is a highlight. We're going to see a highlight in how he handles betrayal and rejection. May 8th, 1945 was a significant day in Europe because it was the end of World War II. In Britain specifically, the, the, the streets were filled with hundreds of thousands of people who were rejoicing and celebrating this moment of a war coming to an end. Here's a picture of a bunch of people stacking up on a car and they're driving around town. The streets are filled. I'm not recommending you do this. It's probably not safe. Uh, but, but just celebration, I mean, shouts and chants rising in the air. Here's a picture of Piccadilly Square, just crammed full with people. A guy climbing a, a light post and, and, and on a center monument and a roundabout. And, and then comes a moment on May 8th, 1945, when Winston Churchill, the prime minister of Britain, will step out onto a balcony and he'll give a victory speech and people are just completely silent as he tells the good news of the end of the war. And he wraps up his talk as he's giving it there in, in, in front of hundreds of thousands of Britons. He wraps up his talk by saying, uh, God bless you all. This victory is yours. And there's a moment of silence. And then the crowd begins to rumble and this chant begins to rise. And they say back to Churchill in unison, no, it's yours. No, it's yours. No, it's yours. And what they're saying is, is that Churchill, he, he was the one who put iron in the backbone of the Britons during the war. He was the one who stood firm during the Blitzkrieg days when Hitler was bombing London. And so they're recognizing the significant part that Churchill played. And then they broke into the national anthem, God Save the King, because they had a king then. Now they're saying, saying God Save the Queen. And, uh, and it was a high point for Churchill. Now... You have this high point for him, this moment of honor and adulation and just, just giving him respect for all he's accomplished. Eight weeks later, there's an election in England. And it was thought that because of all that Churchill has done, that the, the, the election would be just a landslide. The conservative party of which Churchill was in charge of, that this would be a complete landslide. The night before the election results were going to be revealed, as they waited a little extra longer for, uh, for every soldier who was scattered around the globe to be able to get their vote in, the night before it's revealed, Churchill has a dream. And in his dream, he hears that he's lost the election. He wakes up in a cold sweat in the morning, and he feels like he's had a premonition that this day is not going to go too well. That dream actually becomes a nightmare. Because as the votes are counted, it is the worst political landslide in England political history. The Conservative Party in Parliament will lose 350 seats. Churchill will no longer be prime minister. Clement Attlee is elected as prime minister. This, the results of this election would, would, would just wound Churchill deeply. Eight weeks earlier, the crowds are chanting, no, it's yours, no, it's yours, no, it's yours. I mean, Churchill, you're our hero. Eight weeks later, he's voted out of office. Churchill, in his biography, would write that that single moment wounded him so deeply that when he moved out of 10 Downing Street and went to move into his apartment that was on the eighth floor of a building, that he, he couldn't even walk out on his balcony for fear that he would throw himself off of it. He didn't trust himself himself. 
because he was so bitterly wounded by the rejection of the English people. What do you do when you experience betrayal at that level? What, how do you handle rejection when it just pierces your soul? See, here's the deal. When you've got your circle of trust, you've got your, your trusted friends, and persecution comes from the outside, and people malign your character from the outside, yeah, that, that, that's troublesome, and that hurts sometimes, but when your inner circle wounds you, because betrayal implies trust. When those who you trust wound you, how do you deal with that significant hurt? That's the question I'm going to attempt to answer here by looking at this story found in 2 Samuel chapter 15. And I'm going to do a lot of summarizing in the story. I'm going to encourage you to um, take some time later today to read this story. It actually spans three or four chapters. Absalom has been living in exile. Uh, Jennifer talked about this last week. He's been living in exile, and now he's come back, and he's come back with a motive. The motive that's on his mind is to steal his father's throne. He is going to begin civil war. He is going to betray his dad. And in 2 Samuel chapter 15, verse 1, we just pick up the story. It says, after this, this speaking of his exile, after this, Absalom bought a chariot and horses, and he hired 50 bodyguards to run ahead of him. See, He's already starting to act like a king. He's not the king yet, but he's, he's bought horses, chariots. He's hired 50 bodyguards to run ahead of him because he wants to be seen as somebody important. Verse two, it says, he got up early every morning and went out to the gate of the city. When people brought a case to the king for judgment, Absalom would ask where in Israel they were from and they would tell him their tribe. Then Absalom would say, you've really got a strong case here. It's too bad the king doesn't have anyone to hear it. I wish I were the judge. Then everyone could bring their cases to me for judgment and I would give them justice. When people tried to bow before him, Absalom wouldn't let them. Instead, he took them by the hand and kissed them. Absalom did this with everyone who came to the king for judgment and so he stole the hearts of all the people of Israel. You probably read C.S. Lewis's book, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and you're familiar with the, the, the four kids who are part of that story. One of them betrays uh, a brother and, and a couple of sisters. Uh, there's this one part of the story where Mr. Beaver, um, read the book if you haven't, because I know it sounds strange, Mr. Beaver talking, but if you read the book, you'll get it. Mr. Beaver says this. There's a quote from C.S. Lewis's book. I didn't like to mention it before, he being your brother and all, but the moment I set eyes on that brother of yours, I said to myself, treacherous. He had the look of one who has been with the witch and eaten her food. You can always tell them if you've lived long enough, lived long in Narnia, something about their eyes, something about Absalom and what he's doing here. And it's easy to recognize people are coming to the city gate with their hurts, their wounds, the injustices, and Absalom doesn't care about bringing healing or, or to their wounds or justice to their cause. What he wants to do is exploit their hurt, exploit the injustice, and turn the attention to himself. And then what he wants to do is expose the weakness of the leader, his father, David. See, this is the funny thing about leadership. 
If you're a leader, you know that you're, you can do all kinds of things well, but you have a couple weaknesses, and those, if, for people who are trying to undermine, people are making a power play for your leadership. Maybe it's a position at work. Maybe it's, it's, it's a position of influence somewhere. People make a power play by, by, not, by, by not emphasizing their own strengths, but by emphasizing your weaknesses. Remember the far side cartoon, two deer standing up, one has got a bullseye on his chest, and the other deer says, bummer of a birthmark, Hal? (laughs) This is what Absalom is doing. He's he's putting a bullseye on his dad. He's exploiting people's hurts. He's exposing the weaknesses. And then what he's doing, he's exaggerating the possibilities. If I were in charge... Things wouldn't be run like they're being run right now. If I were the king, there'd be some, we'd have a judge down here. In fact, it would be me. I would spend my time down at the gate so that when you came with your injustices, you could get some action today. And then as people came and they bowed before him, no, he would jump in, he would lift them, he would kiss them, and he stole the hearts of people. Friends, you've seen this happen. You've seen the heart of Absalom in your circles. And the, the hard news is, is oftentimes it's alive and well in our own hearts. And Absalom is in this place. He, for four years, let me just, I'll just kind of give you some summary of what's going on here. For four years, he will do this. And then what he decides to do is go to his dad, King David, and tell his dad that he wants to offer sacrifices in Hebron. Hebron is where David started the monarchy. And he, he wants to go hold some religious services in Hebron. And, and I'm, I'm guessing that King David is like, well, finally, my son is kind of turning around. He's got a spiritual moment here, and he's encouraging him. But what's going on is Absalom is going to Hebron. He's taking some other conspirators with him. In fact, one of those is an advisor to David, a close advisor to David, Ahithophel. And he's taking 200 leading citizens with him. They don't know what's about to happen. Trumpets are going to be blown, and it's going to be announced that Absalom is king. The 200 leading citizens are caught in the middle. It's a catch-22. If they, if they don't side with Absalom, they're, they're going to be put to death. If they, if, they, if they do side with Absalom, then they're going to be seen as traitors. And people watching from the outside see 200 leading citizens, and they hear the shouts that Absalom is king, and they think it must be true. How do you, when, when Absalom makes his play and he's going to reject David as king and he's, he's stolen the hearts of the people of Israel, he's betraying his father, how does David respond? Quickly, let me just show you, beginning in verse uh, 13. It says, a messenger soon arrived in Jerusalem to tell David, all Israel has joined Absalom in a conspiracy against you. Then we must flee at once or it will be too late, David urged his men. Hurry, if we get out of the city before Absalom arrives, both we and the city of Jerusalem will be spared from disaster. We are with you, his advisors replied. Do what you think is best. What do you do when you're being betrayed? What do you do when you're being rejected? The very first thing you do is what David does here. David refuses to allow his hurt to hurt the people that he's surrounded by. He refuses to dig in his heels and stay in Jerusalem because he knows that if he stays in Jerusalem, the innocent civilians will be caught up in the war and they will lose their lives. You've probably heard the phrase, hurt people, hurt people. We become very self-absorbed when we're wounded. We become very self-focused in our pain. 
And one of the things we do is we draw other people into our pain. David refuses to do this. He wants to get out of the city. Yes, he wants to save his life. But he also wants to spare the city of Jerusalem from any unnecessary harm. He won't allow his hurt to hurt others. Verse 16 through about verse 22, you have an interesting story where you have this guy named Ittai. He's a Gittite. He's actually uh, from, uh, from the Philistine territory. He's now loyal to David. He has 600 trained soldiers, special forces soldiers. And he's exiting the city, and David stops him, this general, and says, why are you coming with me? You need to go back. You know, there's no, we're going to be wandering around the wilderness for, for who knows how long. Remember, David was in the wilderness for 10 years. Maybe this is another 10 years. Why, why be with me? Go back and be with Absalom. What's the one thing David needs in this civil war? An army. Here's 600 soldiers, highly trained soldiers, and he's trying to turn them around and send them back to his son. What David is doing here is refusing to build allies to his cause. Now, Ittai will, Ittai will refuse. He will stay with David. But David is not interested in gathering people around him that will help him mope in his pain. And then you, you continue and you see in verse 23, uh, the verses 23 through verses 29. I, I don't have time to read all that text, but, but here's what's going on here. Zadok and Abiathar, they're high priests, and they come and they bring the Ark of the Covenant out to David as he's evacuating Jerusalem. Now, why would they do that? Why would they bring the Ark of the Covenant to David? I'll tell you why. Because if the Ark is with you, then God is on your side. See, Israel has a long history of misusing God's presence. Israel has a long history of, of, of bringing the Ark of the Covenant into battle to say to the enemy, we've got our God on our side. We are the just ones. You are the unjust ones. We are the righteous ones. You are the unrighteous ones. And friends, this doesn't just happen in Old Testament history. It happens even today in politics. It happens in arguments. It happens in, in, in small groups. We use Bible verses. We spiritualize. We try. God is on my side. He's not on your side. And David refuses to play the God card. He refuses to spiritualize this. In fact, what he says, if God, if God will deliver me, then I'm going to come back to Jerusalem and I'm going to worship him there. Total trust. He's not going to misuse the Ark of the Covenant. And then if you flip the page in your pew Bibles to page 512, uh, chapter 16, verse 5, you get this guy named Shimei. Shimei is a, is a relative of King Saul. Remember, King Saul was the one who was before David. Uh, and he is just shouting at David as you have this funeral procession that's leading out of Jerusalem. David is barefoot. He's got his head covered. People are got, they're covering their, their heads with dust. This is a weeping and wailing. It's a funeral procession. And here's this guy, Shimei, who's throwing stones at the procession, throwing stones at David, tossing dust in the air, and saying, you're getting what you deserved. You ever had anyone say that to you in the midst of your pain of betrayal and rejection? You're just getting what's coming to you. And everything in you wants to just tell that person off. Everything in you wants to strike back. Abishai, who knows, who knows God's word, Exodus says that uh, if you curse the king, that you should die. If, if that were enacted today, we'd all be in trouble, wouldn't we? 
Curse the king and capital punishment is in play. And so Abishai says to David, you want me to go walk over and cut his head off? David says, whoa, whoa, whoa. David refuses to retaliate. He says, perhaps this man is speaking on behalf of God to me. Maybe this is my judgment. Maybe these are the words God wants me to hear. He's, he's completely, such a lack of, of defensiveness. He's completely entrusting his life to God. And as you get into chapter 16 and chapter 17, he's fleeing. He gets to, he gets to the, the Jordan River, and as he gets there, he has all these friends who gather around and bring sleeping mats and food and wine and water and figs and, and, and try and take care of him in this, in this time of betrayal and great pain. And then back in the palace, Absalom is trying to figure out what to do. Should he strike now, quick, while David's on the run? Uh, one advisor is saying that. That's Ahithophel. That's the one that, that is siding with Absalom. There's another guy named Hushai who's another advisor for David. And he's trying to get Absalom to slow down so he can buy some time for David. And what we learn in the text is that God causes Absalom to choose Hushai's advice. And there is a battle that takes place, and David endures great pain, losing his son. His son Absalom dies in that battle. But he returns back to Jerusalem, not because he made it happen, but because God did. Friends, when we're betrayed, we deal with the wounds that come from those who are closest to us. Some of you are you're in a blended family, and maybe you're, you're a mom, and, and you're dealing with wounds of... of of trying to relate to the kids that are now yours. Some of you are dealing with the pain of a handshake deal in a business, uh, you know, business adventure, and, and it just went south. Some of you had a spouse walk out on you. How, how do you deal with that kind of pain and rejection? That, that sticks with you. Significant. Some of you have been carrying that pain for many, many years. What David does, he does not allow his hurt to hurt others. He refuses to build his own team. He refuses to play the God card and spiritualize this. And he lets God be his defender. Three quick observations, and then I'll I'll wrap this up. First one is simply this, just from this story. You get this in, in chapter 17 and 18. Friends, don't wait until a crisis happens before you build your support system. Statistics will tell us that every four years we deal with some sort of crisis, financial, relational, you name it. Don't wait until the crisis happens before you build your support system. This is why we live and breathe groups around this place. This is why we say be in a Bible study, be in a community group, be part of a blender group. Get in community because when the roof falls and when, the, when, when life begins to unravel, you need people, you, you need Barzillais, Ittais, you need Joabs, you need Zebas, you need people who will come to you and bring sleeping mats and wine and, and food and care for you. Second thing I would say to you is this. Know that you have a God who is at work behind the scenes. David has no idea what's happening back in the palace, but God is moving on his behalf to buy him time. Friends, you have a God who is at work behind the scenes. He sees you. God will have the last word. 
A lot of words may be said to you, written to you, but friends, let me tell you this. God sees you. He is working behind the scenes on your behalf, and he will have the last word. Persevere. Don't give up. And the last thing I would say is simply this. Let God be your defender. Let God be your defender. A.W. Tozer, in his book called uh, Pathways to Spiritual Power, has five vows that he took that he believes led him to a place that to, to walk closely with God. One of them was simply this. It was point number three in his book, never defend yourself. Listen to what Tozer says. He says, we are all born with the desire to defend ourselves. If you insist on defending yourself, God will let you do it. But if you turn the defense of yourself over to God, he will defend you. Let me give you an illustration of this. My friend Sundar Christian, many of you have met him. He's spoken here before. He's a pastor of a church in Toronto. Uh, Some years ago, not not too long ago, a lawsuit was brought against the church. Before Sundar was pastor of the church, there was a young boy who was mistreated by another man. Years had gone, gone by, and now this young boy is in his early 30s. And he shares this with his family, and his family brings the lawsuit against the church. Multi-million dollar lawsuit. The complaint is 125 pages long. Bulleted complaints against the church and how they failed their son. When the elders of that church read through the 125-page document, the first week, they had three weeks to, to, to read through it and reply. The first week, they just wanted to counter all the, the accusations. And then in a time of prayer, what they, what they discovered was that, no, let's look for the kernel of truth in these accusations. Three weeks later, they're meeting with the attorney in downtown Toronto, 125 pages of complaints against the church, and they bring one page in response, front and back, And it's a page listed with confessions. Here's how we failed. Will you forgive us? Here's how we failed. Friends, this is a multi-million dollar lawsuit. And they refused to defend themselves. When they finished reading the confessions, the elders in Sunder finished reading them, the attorney then looked at the family and said, what in the world is this? And the family asked the attorney to leave the room. And reconciliation took place between the family and the church. The church offered some remuneration uh, for for the pain and for, for bills, counseling bills. And that next Sunday, that family was in church and Sunder read the confessions to the entire congregation. And that family continues to come to that church. I'm not saying that every time you let God be your defender, it works out perfectly like that one. But what I am saying is that he is way more trustworthy than I am or you are. He is God. Now listen to this journal entry of David's during this time of betrayal and rejection. Psalm chapter three. As I'm reading it, the worship team's gonna come join me uh, out here because we're gonna declare these words. These are familiar words. Psalm three, a psalm of David regarding the time David fled from his son Absalom. O Lord, I have so many enemies. So many are against me. So many are saying, God will never rescue him. So many are saying, he's washed up. His time is done. But you, O Lord, are a shield around me. 
You are my glory, the one who holds my head high. My head wants to fall under the weight of all this pain and all the wounds, but you are the God who sticks your hand underneath my chin and you lift it up so that you can look me eye to eye. I cried out to the Lord and he answered me from his holy mountain. I laid down and slept, yet I woke up in safety. I slept. Some of you have not been getting sleep because this pain has been keeping you up at night. You have a God who watches over you who wants you to rest. I'm not afraid of 10,000 enemies who surround me on every side. Arise, O Lord, rescue me, my God. Slap my enemies in the face. Shatter the teeth of the wicked. David's kind of honest in his journal entries, if you haven't noticed. (laughs) Get them, God. You get them, not me. Victory comes from you, O Lord. May you bless your people. Thank you for joining us on the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. We are a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. If you have a request that we could pray for, please email us at prayers at salemalliance.org. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit us at salemalliance.org.